What is God's plan for your life? What is he up to in all the little daily trials and the big life-changing decisions and everything in between? Does God have an overarching purpose for your life? He does. When we think about God's purpose and plan for our life, we often cannot see the forest for the trees. We focus on where we should go to college or what kind of career we should pursue. We focus on who we should marry or where we should live. We wonder whether we should retire yet or how we should spend our retirement. And all those questions are important and can change and shape our lives in massive ways. But all of those big questions pale in comparison to the one great purpose God has for your life. Whether your life seems to be going according to plan or not, whoever you marry, wherever you live, whether you are able to retire or not, God is up to one big thing in your life and his purpose for you will not fail. Romans chapter 8 verses 28 and 29 is our passage this morning and it is difficult to find a passage of scripture that is more full of encouragement and assurance than this one. From here to the, to the end of Romans chapter 8, there is no let up in the crescendo of confidence Paul speaks into the hearts of God's people. So let's look at these two verses, Romans 8, 28 and 29, with high expectations of what God can do in our hearts in these troubled times through these verses. Let me read them for us. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So the first thing Paul says there in verse 28 is that all things work together for our good. Just before this verse, he had been speaking of something we do not know. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. And so the Spirit intercedes for us. God, the Holy Spirit himself, prays for us. Here Paul speaks of something we do know, or at least that we ought to know. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This is a massive promise to say that all things work together for good. But it's important before we dig into the details of the promise itself, we pay attention to who the promise is for. Notice first that Paul says that it's for those who love God that all things work together for good. So this promise is not for everybody. It's not saying that God works all things together for good for all people. He's saying that God works all things together for good for all believers, for all who belong to God, for all who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. To say uh, that this promise is for those who love God is just another way of saying that it's for believers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16.22, If anyone has no love for the Lord... Let him be accursed. In other words, if you have no love for Jesus at all, then you remain uh, under the curse of God. You are condemned. It's as Jesus said in John 3.18 when he said, Whoever believes in him 
is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, anybody who believes in Jesus is going to have love for God. Now, it may wax and wane, it may be weaker at times and stronger at other times, but by definition, if you are a Christian, you will have some love for God. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that this promise is contingent on how much you love God or how weak or strong your love for God may be. He's simply saying, if you are one of those whose heart has been changed and whose um, spirit has uh, been awakened and you have trusted in Christ and turned from your sin and you love the Lord, then this promise is for you. So if you're a Christian, in other words, he's talking about you. This promise is for you. But it is possible for us reading those words to, uh, because our love for God does wax and wane, to um, wonder if this really applies to us. If, if the promise seems contingent on my love for God, then the promise does not seem as sure and certain as I need it to be. All right? Now, it's not contingent on our love for the Lord. Uh, I mean, we do have to love Him, but it's not contingent on how weak or strong or how much we might feel like we're loving God at, the, at a particular moment. But it can seem that way. And so thankfully, Paul gives us another description of who this promise is for that doesn't even begin to sound like it's contingent upon us when he says at the end of the verse that this promise is for those who are called according to his purpose, meaning according to God's purpose. So he has two ways of describing believers here. One of them is those who love God. And again, that's true of all Christians. By definition, we have a love for the Lord, but we, because of our um, fallenness and, and, and so on, we don't always feel like we're loving God as much as we ought. And certainly we are often not loving God as much as we ought. We never love God as fully and perfectly as he deserves. And so he gives us another description of believers, and he says, um, you might have ups and downs in how you feel about how much you love the Lord, but, he, but here's the thing. You are also those who are called according to God's purpose. Now, when he uses the word called there, he's not using the word in the same way we use it for someone who's been called to ministry or who feels a calling to a certain vocation, like this is what I was made to do. This word here is being used to describe God's summons to salvation. Calling here is not a mere invitation, though God does extend an invitation, right? The calling is the drawing, the summoning of people to salvation. And you can see from verse 30, and we just glance at that briefly, verse 30 tells us that everyone whom God calls, he also justifies, which means they're forgiven of their sin and declared righteous. And then those he justifies, he glorifies. So everybody God calls in this sense is saved. So when he says, you have been called according to God's purpose, what he's saying is, this promise is for everybody whom God has said, you are mine. You belong to me now. 
It's the same kind of thing that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 6, verse 37, when he said, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. So the good news about this promise is that if you're a Christian, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, regardless of how uh, mature or immature you may feel as a Christian, if you are a Christian, this promise is for you. And if you are not a Christian, this promise can be for you. The Bible is very clear that God sent Jesus into the world to save sinners. He died on the cross in the place of sinners to bear our sin, rose from the dead on the third day, and then sent out his disciples to tell the world that anybody who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus will receive not only forgiveness and fellowship with God, but for them all the promises of God will be yes for them in Christ. So if you turn from your sin and you trust in Christ, this promise will be true of you as well. The second half of what Jesus said in John 6.37 is this, not only all that the Father gives to me will come to me, but he went on to say, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So if you wonder, would God accept you after all that you've done? Would God, could God possibly forgive you after all that you have said and after all the things you have done wrong? Jesus says, absolutely. If you turn from your sin and you come to me, I'll never cast you out. I'll never send you away. So this promise that Paul is giving us here in verse 28 is for believers. It's for Christians. Now, here's the next question we have to ask. Does all things really mean all things? Paul is saying here to believers, God is going to work all things together for your good. And so the natural question is, does all really mean all? Does all things mean even sinful things? Does all things mean even painful things? Does all things even mean hardship and loss? Yes, all those things. Paul means all here when he says all. Think about the context. Uh, Paul just said back in verse 17 that if we suffer with Jesus, then we will be glorified with Jesus. And then in verses 18 to 23, he talked about how the world is fallen. It has been put in bondage to decay as a result of of Adam's sin, and the creation is groaning, longing for the day when it will be set free. And it's going to be set free on the day when Jesus comes back and uh, believers are raised from the dead. And he says, we who are Christians, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we are groaning and longing for that day as we live in this fallen world. And so, yes, of course, Paul means all things. All things. It's not hard to believe that all the good things, all the blessings, all the wonderful things that God brings into our life, that all those things are working together for our good. The reason we need the promise is because we suffer and we experience hardship and we bring pain into our own lives through our sin and we wonder, can this have any good purpose? Can this uh, be used by God to uh, bring anything good into our life. And what Paul is saying is there's not a thing in your life that God will fail to use to bring about his good purpose for you. All of it, everything that happens, God is working together 
for your good. Now, here's the million dollar question. What is the good? What is the good that God is causing all things to work together for? Because not everybody has the same definition of what's good. Some people think, uh, if God is being good to me, then that will mean more money and more health and more happiness and less pain and hardship. It will mean more of the blessings of this life and none of the pain and difficulty of this life. But that's not God's ultimate purpose for you. God's ultimate purpose for you is not to make your life here and now as easy as it can possibly be. If that were true, then we wouldn't have verse 17, which says that if we suffer with Jesus, then we will be glorified with Jesus. So what is the good that God is working all things together for? Well, we have to go to verse 29 to find the answer to that question. He explains, for, because, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, those words foreknew and predestined are huge words. We're going to come back to those in just a moment. Right now, I want you to focus on the next phrase, to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's Paul's point. God's working all things together for our good. How do we know he's working all things together for our good? Because his plan is to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus the Messiah. That's his ultimate plan. That's his ultimate purpose. In everything that happens in your life, what God is doing is he is bringing together all those strands, all the blessings, all the hardships, and he's bringing them all together To bring about one purpose, and that is to make you like Jesus. That's his goal. That's his plan. That's his purpose. That's helpful for us for a couple of reasons. One, that helps us to know that God, what God's good purpose is uh, in the, the hardships that we face in the suffering that we experience, in the hostility that we experience from the world at times, that we can draw courage and strength knowing that even through the hardest things, God is doing for us the best thing. He is making us more like Christ. It also helps us to know uh, what it is that the Spirit is praying for us because the Spirit prays for us according to God's will. And now we know God's will is to make us like Jesus. And so that helps us to know how to pray. Right? That in any and every circumstance, you can be praying God, use this to make me more like Christ. And you can know that God's going to answer that prayer. Because that's what he's up to already. That's what he is doing in your life in any and every circumstance. He is working all things together for your good by using them to make you more like Christ. Now, this is a promise that you can build your life on. This is a promise that you can draw hope and comfort from when your life is hard and things feel dark. This is a promise that can help you move forward in hope, even when you don't understand the things that are happening in the present or things that happened in the past. I hope you treasure this promise because of a 
generous friend and church member, we have a beautiful copy of Romans 8.28 hanging in our house. It is a treasured promise to know that in all things, God is working together for our good. But let me also give you just a a word of caution. Uh, This is a potent promise. And like all powerful things, you have to be careful how you wield it. This is a promise that helps us heal, but does not often help us grieve. It's the the better part of wisdom to speak the appropriate word at the appropriate time. And sometimes we make the mistake of speaking a good word at the wrong time. This is a promise that is is not very helpful in the immediate aftermath of tragedy or grief. When someone is still grieving the loss of a loved one, you don't want to come alongside them and say, it's okay, God's going to work all things together for your good. They're not ready to hear it in that moment. This is a promise that helps us heal after we grieve. So be wise, be careful, be discerning about when and how you use this promise. But by all means, use it. Use it, but use it wisely. Use it in your own life. Use it to encourage your friends and fellow church members. Use it when uh, you don't know how to explain why things happen. Just say, I don't know why that happened. I don't know why God allows certain things to take place. I don't know His plan. His ways are not our ways. But I do know that even in the things that don't make sense, God is working for our good. Now, what about these words foreknew and predestined? Those are big and important words. Paul says that God works all things together for our good, and we know that Because those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So who are those God foreknew? What is that even talking about? Well, in one sense, we know that God knows everybody. And that God knew about everybody he would create long before he created them. Because God knows everything. So if those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, simply means the people God knew about, then that would mean he had determined to make everybody like Christ. Which is certainly not true, because if everybody became like Christ, then everybody would be saved, and the Bible says that that's not the way that it's going to be. Many continue to uh, be hardened in their sin and refuse to turn to the Lord, so it can't mean that. So what does it mean when he says those whom he foreknew? Well, in the Bible, the word knew, to know somebody, is often used not merely of sort of uh, an intellectual knowledge or an acquaintance or, or a factual knowledge about somebody. It is often used in a intimate relational sense of knowledge. For example, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. 
Now, not to put too fine a point on it, that's not the kind of knowledge you can have about somebody uh, from a distance. Right? This is an intimate knowledge that Adam has of his wife Eve. It implies relationship. Right? Uh, in Amos 3.2, we have another instance of this word being used this way. God says through the prophet Amos to the nation of Israel, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Now, does that mean that God didn't know about the Philistines or uh, the Samaritans or the Egyptians? No, of course not. God knows all those nations. What he means is God is not in covenant relationship with any other nation, nor has he ever been. God alone was in covenant with Israel. They were the only nation he had known, that he had this close connection and fellowship with. And then um, in, in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he speaks of the Messiah this way. He says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Does that mean that God the Father simply knew about God the Son in advance? No, of course not. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit experienced uh, Perfect, unhindered fellowship from eternity. Uh, He has known and loved and been in fellowship with his son from before the foundation of the world. So when it says here in verse 29, those whom he foreknew, he's talking about those that he has been in fellowship with in some sense, in covenant relationship with in some sense from The beginning. He means that there are those that he has set his love upon. That he has chosen, even as the Bible says elsewhere. um, And that he knows in an intimate, relational sense. Those whom he has said, they are mine. That's who he's talking about when he says, those whom he foreknew. It's not just people he knew what they would do or knew some things about them. They're those he knew and loved. Uh, then the word predestined, some people say, well, I, I don't believe in predestination. Well, you've got to believe something about predestination because it's in the Bible. It's a Bible word. The question is, what does it mean? Of course, most basically, the predestined means to have a goal uh, set out ahead of time, to have predetermined what the end is going to be. And what God says here, what God says to us through the Apostle Paul is that God has determined in advance that those whom he had set his love upon, he will conform to the image of Christ. His predetermined plan, what he has predestined you for, is this ultimate good of being made like Christ. This is very similar to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, where he says he chose us in him, God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. It's very similar to what Paul is saying here in Romans 8. Predestination is an act of love. God predestines us to be His sons, to be like Christ. Because He has set His love on us, before we knew anything about Him, He knew us. 
And He loved us. And He determined to save us. And He determined to make us like His perfect Son. Now you may have a dozen questions right now about how all of this works. And Paul will answer some of those later in Romans chapter 9. But right now, His purpose in using these words is not to overwhelm you with deep philosophical questions about the relationship between free will and the sovereignty of God. Right now, His purpose is to strengthen you with an unshakable hope rooted in the eternal purpose of God that has been put into effect in your life through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. All things must work together for your good because long before you knew what was good for you, God determined that He would give you the ultimate gift in saving you and making you like Christ. That purpose is unchangeable and that plan is unstoppable. Whatever else happens, whatever else the world or the enemy may throw at you, God's purpose for you will stand and He will see it done. You will see Jesus face to face and you'll be transformed into his glorious image. And not only will nothing be able to stop that from happening, but God will see to it that everything that happens between now and then will serve that end. Praise be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your marvelous, wonderful grace your work and your plan that is beyond tracing out for us. It is so much greater than we can conceive or imagine. And we thank you that it's good because you are good. And we pray that these words would be burned into our hearts and minds and would buoy our spirits and strengthen our hope and help us to trust in you even in the dark times, even in the valleys, even in the hardships as we remember That no matter what happens, you're working all things together for our good. We praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.